perhaps you've noticed, maybe you haven't, that the season of Epiphany always starts and ends in the same way, every single year. The first Sunday after the Epiphany, we recognize Jesus' baptism, and we read from one of the Gospel accounts about Jesus' baptism. The last Sunday of the Epiphany is, reminds us of the Transfiguration. And every, every year from one of the Gospels, we read about the Transfiguration. In both Jesus' baptism and in the Transfiguration, we hear the Word of God, not only to Jesus, but to those present. In his baptism, we hear God say, This is my Son, my Beloved, in whom I am well pleased. And in the Transfiguration, we hear the Word of God say, This is my Son, my Chosen One. Listen to him. The season of Epiphany brings us into the awareness of Jesus' life and ministry. It's all encapsulated in these few weeks, although we get into more details as we go through Lent and then, of course, in the ordinary time of the summer. But I think it's remarkable that we are reminded of who Jesus is because of God's word to us as we hear it in these gospel lessons of the season of Epiphany. Here, Peter and James and John are on the mountainside with Jesus, and all of a sudden things start to happen that are beyond them and un um, ununderstandable. It doesn't quite make sense, but somehow they start to recognize that Jesus is a part of a larger piece of work, of God's work. And they hear God's voice as clear as could be, but how do they hear it? With their ear? Or is there some way maybe with their heart? This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Now, Greek in Greek, often the word that is translated as listen is also understood as obey. And so here we are right before Jesus heads into Jerusalem, which happens in Luke's 10th chapter, and Luke has 20-some chapters in it. Here, Jesus, right before he enters into Jerusalem, we are reminded of, of listening to him, of obeying him and following him. But herein lies the question of us who want to do that. What does that look like? What does it mean to follow Jesus? It seems the charge of every preacher to give some illumination on the thought. And we, in relationship with one another, ponder it. What does it mean to follow Jesus? We can be assured that we do not stand in this moment in time alone. We are bolstered by the faithful who have gone before us who have also considered that question. What does it mean to follow Jesus? I was reminded of this, um, of um, a little book I have when I thought of this question. This is a book I got as a thank you gift for a, a magazine subscription. And it is entitled, The Reckless Way of Love, Notes on Following Jesus. It's a compilation of quotes from Dorothy Day. And in this book, the introduction is written by a woman named D.L. Mayfield. And she engages in this question of what does it mean to follow Jesus? She talks about Dorothy Day's impact in her own life. It started when she found a button and it said on it, if you have two coats, you've stolen one from the poor. She found this button and did some research into where that quote came from and it was attributed to Dorothy Day. And D.L. talks about being a young person with the fervor and passion of following Jesus. She put that button on her only coat she had, an orange corduroy plaid coat. 
and she wore it around, hoping that people would cha be changed just by reading her button. And she confesses that a little bit of it, too, was that she wanted people to see how radical she was in following Jesus. But it's a challenge to consider what this actually means in our own lives. D.L. was in relationship with the vulnerable and the disenfranchised through her work with immigrants in Portland at that time. Refugees who had come mostly from Africa and were mostly Muslim and found themselves living in Portland, Portland, Oregon, trying to make sense of life in their new surroundings. And so D.L. turned to Dorothy Day, finding in her a friend, started to research her life and come to know her writings. And she came across this particular quote of Dorothy Day. But how to love? Dorothy Day asks. St. Teresa of Avila said that you can only show your love for God by your love for your neighbor, for your brother and sister. Novelists and philosophers will say that when you were working for truth and justice, you're working for Christ, even though you denied him. But how to love? That is the question. And indeed, it is the question. D.L. was struck with the power of that question when she found herself over the course of a few years owning three coats. Not only did she have her orange corduroy plaid one, the pockets now ripped, but she had a raincoat, which was really helpful in Portland, Oregon. And she'd also acquired a very heavy winter coat for her th from her three years when she was in the Midwest. But she was unsure of what to do about this. How would she get down to only one coat? She surely knew people who needed a coat, but how would she decide which coat to give away, and how would she decide which person to give it to? And so she kept three coats in her closet, and she put her button in a drawer. D.L. Mayfield's eyes were opened when she interfaced, interacted with the refugees in her town. Dorothy Day's eyes were opened when she noticed the bread lines of the 1930s. Dorothy Day was not a Christian from birth. She was um, a social activist, was arrested in the efforts of Alice Paul's fight for women's right to vote. She was arrested in 1917 and really lived a bohemian lifestyle, even having a, um, had a baby, uh, become pregnant out of wedlock and having an abortion, and then later having a child out of wedlock. But something happened to her. She met Jesus, and it completely changed her life. With Peter Morin, she founded the Catholic Worker Movement. And Wikipedia describes this as a pacifist movement that combines direct aid for the poor and homeless with nonviolent direct action on their behalf. She and Peter established a hospitality house in Brooklyn and sought to address and respond to the needs of the indigent and the suffering in whatever form it revealed itself. When D.L. was considering Dorothy's work, she wondered, how did she do it? When you're with the vulnerable and the needy, it's a very exhausting enterprise. It's full of disappointment. You can't be motivated when working with those that are in need by success or achievement because the work is never done. And that's what D.L. found in her work with the refugees. She called her friends and family and asked them to get involved. She dedicated her time to teaching children English and learning how to read. 
She called and waited in line for um, government support for the people and faced even at times people's lack of gratefulness for all the ways that she had sought to help them. So D.L. wondered, how do you go that long? How do you go the distance? Dorothy Day speaks of this very same thing, recognizing the suffering that keeps going even with her best attempts to help. In reflecting on one woman who had come to them for the night, homeless and intoxicated, she left the next morning showing very little signs of receiving any healing, any transformation of Jesus. Even with Dorothy's best efforts and the support around, it looked like it'd be another day the same for this woman. Dorothy felt convicted. She said she is one of our many failures. How do we keep going when we see that the little things that we're doing don't bring about large change? D.L. reminds us that life in community with broken people will always include disappointments. So how do we remain faithful? It wasn't success or achievement that motivated Dorothy Day. It was her relationship with Jesus that did. She returned to scripture again and again. She prayed She participated in the communal life of worship. She took the sacraments, and it was that, the love of Jesus, that sustained her for the days and weeks ahead. It was that which taught her to persevere, even when things didn't turn out like she'd hoped. Like the disciples in our gospel story who can't cast out the demon in this boy. And the failings of us all to recognize and realize the transformational love of Jesus that's made available to us. When it doesn't make sense, it's hard to explain. And so sometimes we simply give up. It's through the practices of the faith that we gain strength to do the things that God is calling us to do. And whereas we might want what D.L. wanted from Dorothy, she says, I wanted inspiring stories of her interactions with the poor. I wanted to hear about the causes of equality that she championed. I wanted to hear about her countercultural lifestyle choices. But what I discovered, D.L. says, is that the work was in loving Christ. That was the work of her life. Dorothy says, Dorothy Day says, how can we ever give up thinking and longing for love, talking of it, preparing ourselves for it, reading of it, studying about it? It is really a great faith in love that never dies. But how to love? That is the question Dorothy says and we remember. Our noble attempts to bring about justice often have moments of faltering and discouragement. Just as D.L. says, here I am with three coats in my closet. What am I supposed to do? But D.L. goes on to ask a question which I think is one that we can, or at least resonates with me. D.L. says in her introduction to this little book, she says, what is it we truly want for this one life we are given? Is it a frustrated life of service where we drag ourselves along by the bootstraps? Or do we want a sustainable life that is constantly renewed by the inexhaustible love of Christ and our connection to him? I know that's what I want. A sustainable life that is constantly renewed by the inexhaustible love of Christ and our connection to him. And so God on that mountaintop with Peter, James, and John says to them, listen to him. 
listen to Jesus and go with him into the suffering. Life has suffering in it and you'll never avoid it, so go with him into it because he will sustain you. Stay close to Jesus. He will give you what you need for the challenges of this life as you interface with the brokenness of this world, the fragility of our humanity. I'm reminded by, of um, the Samaritan woman in the fourth chapter of John's Gospel who comes to the well to draw water and she encounters Jesus. And in their dialogue about this well, Jesus says, if you knew who was speaking to you, then you would ask for the water of life from a well that never runs dry. And the woman says, sir, tell me where to find this so that I never have to draw water again. And Jesus says, I'm it. I am the well of life that never runs, runs dry. I show you and reveal to you the inexhaustible love of God and how it transforms the world. And as we embark on this season of Lent, we're invited to enter even more deeply into that with practices of prayer and with daily scripture reading with times of fellowship in the communion and receiving the sacrament, and we come to see that God provides for us again and again and again through the life of Jesus, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what we're invited to as Christian people. It is remarkable that God has given us something to sustain us. We receive it every week when we come forward and hold our hands out. We know that we can only receive it. It's nothing that we can get. But God has given it to us for the taking. And it's because of that that we say, Alleluia. Thanks be to God for what he has done. How he has loved the world so much that he's come among us so that we might know the intimacy of God with all creation and might receive from God the life that God wants to offer us. Alleluia. Amen. <laughs>